Well, the word of the year that's been chosen each year for the last few years helps reveal how sociologists feel about the direction our culture is going. For instance, in 2016, Oxford Dictionary chose the word of the year post-truth. 2017, Collins Dictionary chose fake news. 2018dictionary.com chose misinformation. More examples of the division we see and the confusion we see and more and more the reality of why we need people to stand up and share the truth of Christ with their words, with their example, and with their understanding. We're going to look at some of the promises here from Moses' life and Jesus' life in just a moment. Before we get to that, here's a fascinating study that was done called the Coffee Test. This was no small study. You'll see here the results were were pretty clear on what happened here. What they did is they had two individuals. They would simply go out onto the street and they did this with 200 people. They would simply stop somebody randomly and say, I need to tie my shoe. Would you hold my coffee? They would either hand the person an iced coffee or a hot coffee. Other psychologists would watch that person as they walked down the street, stopped in stores, things like that. And they would then, about 20, 30 minutes later, approach that same person and say, do you mind taking a small test? It takes three minutes. We'll give you $20. And of course, people were glad to help out. And the test was simple. Please read this short story. And when they were done, they said, now describe the main character. Here's what's fascinating. 80%, 80% of those who touched the hot coffee described the main character as warm and approachable. 81% that touched the cold coffee described the character as cold and distant. Again, no small study, 81% and 80%. What's taking place here? What the psychologists were showing is that unconsciously you can be affected sometime later by an event that happened to you that you may not really be aware of. This is why advertising is so effective. Touching a hot coffee that the person didn't know had any relationship to the story they read caused people to see a person in a certain way. So did the cold coffee. Again, we talk about why it's so important to program your own mind by studying scripture, by filling your mind with truth and being aware of what's taking place around you. Again, fill your mind and your environment purposefully or someone else will, and they may influence you in a way that you don't want. We don't want to be controlled by things that maybe happen that we don't even realize are having an impact. Rather, daily, we want to say, you know what? My life is controlled by daily surrender to Christ, His Word living in me, me, than simply hearing His still, small voice. Not influenced by culture, majority opinion, where things are going with society, but rather saying, you know what? Christ is my life and I hear him more clearly as I spend more and more time with him. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings to fill our mind with truth so that what's influencing us is his word hidden deep in our heart. Let's consider something Jesus said very clearly. John chapter 14 verses I'm sure most know. Verse 16, I will ask the father, he will give you another advocate to be with you forever the spirit of truth, the world cannot receive him. It neither sees him nor knows him, 
but you know him. And here's the key. He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. He dwelleth with you, shall be in you. Last week, Pentecost was the promise that the Spirit of God no longer only with us, but now he is within you. Paul says the mystery is now this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. As we say many times, greater is he in you than he in the world. That's Pentecost. Now we never face anything alone. Christ always with us, truly in us, living his life through us. For those here today, for the men to to look at the culture and see where things are going here on this Father's Day to say, you know what, I want to be somebody that knows Christ He liveth in me so that I can influence the world in a positive way and influence my family. Derek Prince makes a fascinating statement here. He was a minister in the 1900s. He said this, The primary meaning of to blaspheme is to speak lightly or amiss of sacred things. To blaspheme is to speak lightly or amiss of sacred things. We're going to see an incredible miracle story here in a moment. Look at some amazing things through history. We want to make sure, though, that we don't speak lightly or amiss of sacred things, but that daily we have that reverence for Christ who now liveth in you, liveth in me, and the promise of what that entails, especially in a culture where people are caught up in things like those words of the year suggest. So let's look at Exodus chapter 17 real quick here. There's a moment in Exodus 17, Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They now are in need of water. Moses prays to God for the water. God tells Moses to take the rod, same staff that he parted the Red Sea, strike a rock, and water will miraculously come from that rock. And then you get to the New Testament, and Paul says everything about that rock and the water points to Christ, who is the rock on which we stand, and living water flows from Him through you, through the world. Notice what happens as soon as this miracle takes place, though. It tells us Moses did this miracle in the sight of the elders of Israel. And then two words, Exodus 17, now Amalek. Now Amalek. Let's talk about Amalek for a moment here. Because he always shows up right after the miracle, right after the blessing, right after the decision that somebody makes to be more committed to their faith. There's the miracle, and then now Amalek. We're told now Amalek came and fought with Israel. Amalek, a descendant of Esau. You remember Esau? He sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. He treated that which was sacred very lightly. He blasphemed. Amalek, the root words are sin and mischief. Amalek represents the devil, sin and selfishness. It's important to understand we come to moments of commitment every day in our life, and especially on Sunday mornings, and when that commitment happens and that prayer is given and that prayer is answered or something happens that God makes a miracle in our life, you can be sure that Amalek is about to show up. And when you know he's about to show up, and you know that greater is he in you than he in the world, you don't have to fear Amalek. You can simply know this game is going to happen. This is Watchman Nee. He was a minister in China throughout the early 1900s. 30 years he was a pastor. He wrote over a hundred books, but at the communist takeover in China, 
Ministers like he were thrown in prison. He spent the last, imagine this, 20 years of his life in prison. He was executed, beaten, tortured over the years before that execution happened. But it was there in prison he would write some of his books. And in his books, he would very clearly say to people, Christ is your life. Stop playing church. Stop this game of for a moment on Sunday living a certain way, but the rest of the week going out and treating lightly sacred things. He wasn't somebody that spoke from the comfort of his living room. He was somebody on the raw edge of human pain who knew and said, Christ is my life. He is the truth. And he willingly laid down his life to die for his Savior. He shared something fascinating, though, about a friend, a friend who was a rice farmer who had this field on top of a mountain, and he'd water that field. He'd come back that afternoon. The water was gone, and he would see the water had been drained into his neighbor's field below his. He noticed that going on several days in a row. He realized quickly, once he watered his field, his neighbor was then stealing the water, opening up the dike so the water would flow down the mountain and water his crops. This man was stealing his water. He was upset. He was angry, prayed about it. He felt some direction from God. So what he started to do was go out in the morning and water his neighbor's field before he watered his own. Day in and day out, water the neighbor's field first. He said what happened from that is that neighbor who was stealing the water came and apologized, repented, embraced the gospel and became a believer and they became brothers in Christ. You see, that's the difference of, again, moving into life in Christ, not playing church, but saying every day, let me hear his leading. I don't need to lose the battle to Amalek. This gentleman here is Chris Putnam. I love a quote that he shared. He himself was a drug addict, an alcoholic. He went to treatment centers. He said he kept failing those, feeling suicidal, a last-ditch effort. He went to a church to hear somebody speak one night. He said that man they'd never met said, there may be somebody here feeling suicidal and hopeless. And he said that man said, God says he can make you a new creation. And here's the key that changed things for Chris Putnam. He said, that man said, do you think you know better than God? Do you think you know better than God? God says he can make all things new. Do you think you know better than him? Chris said from that, he surrendered to Christ and very shortly thereafter, freed from his addiction. Now he's a minister. But again, that key, God says he can make all things new. Do you think you know better than God? Maybe your marriage is failing and God is saying to you, I can fix that if you'll listen to me. Do we think we know better than Him? Maybe it's a financial situation that's overbearing and God says, you know what? I can make all things new there. Do you think you know better than I do? You see, that's the promise that is fulfilled knowing that Christ now liveth in you, liveth in me. Consider again Exodus 17, now Amalek. 
There's the miracle, and Amalek shows up to fight. Let's consider a couple examples of how that took place in the New Testament. Right after that moment of Pentecost, when the Spirit was shed on all flesh, the rushing wind, the tongues of fire, Peter would then say, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Notice what happens, though, as you move forward to Acts chapter 7. We're told the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. After Peter gives that message to the crowds, when they ask what just happened, he said Christ has ascended on high. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He has poured out what you see, the, the rushing winds, the tongues of fire. They spoke in different language, what we call Pentecost. There's this revival that takes place. But you know what's coming next. As everything is taking place with the disciples multiplying greatly, we're told, then there arose from the, some from the synagogue of freedmen, they stirred up the people and elders and the scribes. They see Stephen. Stephen, an early disciple. He's performed miracles. He's praying for the people Again, revival's happening. They focus on him. We're told this. They cast him out of the city, brought him to the council, and stoned him. Now, this may look like a win for Amalek. We're about to see it is one of the most key moments in New Testament history. Stephen is preaching. There's miracles. And they grab him. They don't like that he's sharing the gospel, so they stone him. He's martyred, but this is only the beginning of the story. Amalek shows up because of revival, but greater is he in you than he in the world. After they stoned Stephen, we're told this. Then they laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul is, of course, Paul. He went by both names. Everything hinges on this moment in the book of Acts as far as where everything's going to go direction-wise. Amalek shows up, but God is greater. What happened here? Paul was there debating Stephen. Paul had been to the top schools of the Pharisees. He knew the law, knew Scripture. Stephen, seemingly a simple man, says to Paul in the crowds, if you understood what Moses was trying to teach you, you would not have crucified the Son of God. They stone him, but we're told when they stoned him, his face shone like an angel. And he would repeat basically the words of Jesus and say, Father, don't lay this sin against them. They know not what they do. And then he died with this tremendous joy. And Paul is standing there, and you can hear his thoughts as you read this. They lay the clothes at his feet. He's simply standing there watching what's happened. And Paul is thinking, you know what? I'm the smartest guy in the room. But this guy had all the peace in the world. You know what? I'm very learned. But this man, he was fearless. And at this moment is the moment where Paul's life is going to change. And he's going to, of course, become this greatest missionary for the gospel. And what happens then when Paul makes his commitment? Amalek shows up. And what does Paul say? He was beaten. 
He was stoned. He was thrown in prison. But he said, I wouldn't trade any of it. Because whatever my life can do to serve Christ, I willingly do. Notice John chapter 11. This is the story, of course, where Jesus is going to raise Lazarus. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who had died, came forth. We're told in John 11, many of the, of the Judeans saw these things and believed in him. But, and here comes Amalek. Notice what happens. Some of the Pharisees went away and told of the things Jesus did. We're told they had a meeting. They said this man is stirring up crowds. We're losing control. Here's the key words in John 11. From that day on, they plotted to put him to death. From that day on, they plotted to put Jesus to death. From the moment he raised Lazarus, this great miracle, afterwards Amalek shows up. Back to Exodus 17. We're told that Moses said to Joshua, Choose some men, go out and fight Amalek. Then Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Amalek needs to be defeated. Joshua is going to lead that charge. From the top of the hill, Moses, Aaron, and Hur are going to go pray. Moses, Aaron, and Hur. The key there is Moses the prophet, Aaron the high priest, Hur the king. Three separate offices. Nobody could hold all three because their ego would be too big. All three were reserved for the coming Messiah, Jesus, who would be that fulfillment, prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, the living word, priest, he intercedes on our behalf, the king, He's the king of kings. Everything done here is representing the coming Christ. Notice what happens next. So it was when Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed over Amalek. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Spiritual lesson is clear. As long as we pray and stay in Christ, we have victory. We let our guard down. Amalek wins. Notice what happens though next. Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone, put it under him. He sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other. What's taking place here? Moses lifts his hands in prayer. There's victory over Amalek. When he gets tired, they hold his hands up. Aaron holds one hand up. Her hand holds the other hand up. What's he doing? He's making the sign of the cross here. Just like Jesus was lifted up and one hand was held up, nailed to a cross, and the other hand was held up and nailed to the other end of that cross. Again, everything pointing to Christ. How does Amalek get defeated? By the one who was lifted up and laid down his life and took it back up again and now dwelleth in you, dwelleth in me. And then we're told Joshua then defeated Amalek. Joshua, in the New Testament, Joshua is the word Jesus. It's always Jesus who defeats Amalek. That's the promise. Fathers, mothers, everyone. To embrace daily. Embrace the promise. Embrace the life. Live faithful to Him. Don't be afraid of Amalek. Just know He's going to show up, but He's already defeated. Enforce that defeat and have the influence you're called to have in your family in this culture where the blind continue to try to lead the blind and both fall into a pit. Well, they say a picture's worth a thousand words. Let's see if that's true or not as we close. This is Kayla Knight. 2008, she was 11 years old. Had headaches, 
nauseous, went to a doctor. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. She was getting worse and worse and worse. They set up some tests, told her to come back. A few weeks later, she returned, still sick, still fighting migraines. On the left is the brain scan. They did an MRI. Came back with terrible news. You'll notice that large white spots on the brain scan. The doctor explained that's a tumor. Very large, rapidly growing, and very deadly. It was a Wednesday. The family left the doctor's office. They normally attended worship on Wednesday. They went to church. Her mother, Amy, shares what happened next. We prayed. We hit our knees. We got to church. 30 people laid hands on her. You could just feel God. I can't say we prayed as much before. Not like this. Not like we do now. Two days passed. They went back to the doctor. Two days. The doctor came out and said, I can't explain it. Look at these brain scans. Again, on the left, you'll see the picture. There's the tumor. On the right was the MRI. Two days later, you'll see the tumor is gone. The story hit the news because nobody can explain it other than a miracle. From the one who promises, greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world and who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You live for us. May we live in victory for him.